Welcome in brand new Tuesday scramble. It is July 19th, 2022, the week of the 3M Open. I'm Rick Gaiman, that right there, Andy Lack. Andy, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too, man. Um, what a bit of a jarring transition this week for us heading from uh, St. Andrews to TPC Twin Cities, but I I tend to like these weeks. My I do, I do pretty well in these weeks' DraftKings. I don't know if I get excited for them, but I think there's opportunities. I'll say that. Yeah, and this is not necessarily a John Deere classic field because at least there's, I don't know, three guys in the top 20 or 25 of the world rankings in it. So it's a little bit better than that. And then we get all of our, you know, little favorites and we get the guys who just turned pro. There, there's enough meat on this bone for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to check out like Cole Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, we're getting some like, you're right, Finau, Sungjae, uh we get some Davis rally backs, a Heath in the mix. So it's, it's, it's not all that bad. I agree with you. Yeah. All, all of the fantasy darlings are going to tee it up this week. Uh, before we jump into that, we will do props. We will do head to head matchups. We will go through our one and done selections. The guys over at prize picks uh, present the show. So the code that you're looking for there is Rick 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. There's also a link in the description. I've got stats on how well those prize picks uh, Burr, your better matchups have been doing, but Andy, um, you and I have not had a chance to kind of decompress from last week's open championship. Um, I know that you had probably just, uh, a financial end day and an emotional investment in Rory McIlroy winning. And, uh, unfortunately that did not come to fruition. Probably the most I've wanted something to happen in golf in as long as I can remember, not just because of the financial, but I got swept up in the romanticism of all of it too. I mean, I had been saying this, I had been penciling Rory in at this tournament since I did my majors preview last December. Um, so I've been trying to speak this into existence for quite some time. And it, it wasn't really, it didn't really have anything necessarily to do about like the the good versus evil or, you know, PGA tour versus live. I just think that Rory is the most talented golfer that we've seen since tiger. And I think it's kind of a travesty that he hasn't won a major in eight years. And I think he's a genuine guy. And, and I, I appreciate the time that he takes to, you know, there's no in golf. People forget, like you don't have to talk to the media after a round, right? Like the, and you've seen the juxtaposition with how a lot of these live guys um, go about their media obligations recently and go about questions like Rory's a one of one in that sense, right? You know, he, I think he did an excellent interview with Kyle, your colleague, Kyle Porter earlier in the week. Um, he had some great things to say after the round too. And I wanted it for him bad, man. I, I really did. But I guess the conversation that I want to ask your take on that I think has been a fun dialogue the morning after has been the did Rory blow it or did Cam take it? Um probably a little bit of both. Probably like right. 90% Cam took it. I think um uh, it's really tough to be four shots clear uh beat the guy that you're playing with by a significant margin. Hit every green, don't make a bogey shoot two under and not win. Like it's really hard to do all of that. And it would, and it takes a closing 64 from Cam Smith to, to do that. Now, um, 
I also like he didn't make any mistakes, right? Like I just go back, like no. in the moment, I just remember like slowly aching for Rory, like, can this putt drop? Can this putt please drop? Can anything drop? And then I saw the montage that somebody put together afterwards where I mean he like touched the lip or missed barely missed like 10 putts. And like if any one of them drop, it's a completely different story. So like it's really hard to say he he blew this thing. Right. Um, he hit really good putts. Like he was, he yeah. scared the hole on pretty much every putt that he did. I can't give him a full pass. I think I'm a little bit closer to 50, 50 at least. Mm-hmm. I didn't like some of the decisions he made strategically. And when you have under a hundred yards on 14 of 18 holes and you make two birdies and you have the second to worst score out of all the people that entered the round in the top 20 of the tournament, you have to factor it into your equation that you are going to get beat. I, I, I agree with you. I think he played mistake free golf, but he played golf on Sunday. That is going to get you a lot of top five finishes in majors. It's not going to get you a lot of wins. And that, that would be the only counter I would say to that. Uh, Feinberg floated the idea that, uh, like the fact that Rory and Victor both started slowly was just, was just horrible. And I I mean, you heard Victor say this, I think even Saturday night, and I'm sure Rory was kind of thinking it too. It felt a lot like match play between those two. It felt, it felt like one of those two was going to win the open championship. And I think subconsciously for both of them, they were playing against each other. And when they both got off to a slow start, um, there was not a lot of urgency. Now there should have been because by the time they teed off Andy, the course was playing two and a half shots under par. It was by far the easiest, the easiest uh, scoring day of the week. They probably should have assumed that someone was going to make a run, whether that's 64 and blemish free and getting up and down uh, from in front of the road hole bunker and all that fun stuff. That would have been hard to, to, to figure out, but they should have known that um, four shots could go away very quickly. Yeah, I no, and I, I completely agree. And the thing that I said about Cam Smith and Cam Smith's round is, and this is why, while I'm probably more so in the camp than you that Rory deserves a lot of the blame here, I still don't think that I could say that the wrong player won because most of the time, Rick, if you told me that Rory gained double the amount of strokes T to green that cam did, which he did this week, by the way, Rory hit the ball exponentially better than cam. I would tell you that the wrong guy won. I would tell you that the guy that hit the ball best was Rory and that Rory should have won. But I think with cam, you have to grade him on a little bit of a different scale. And I think the mistake that I made on Friday night was thinking that, Cam Smith had gained, I think, close to seven or eight or nine strokes putting through the first two rounds. And I think the mistake that I made was that that was going to regress. And now it did regress on Friday. It came back like crazy on Sunday, though. And he finished the week first in putting. And I think he gained almost close to 12 strokes putting on the week. Mm -hmm. And I think with Cam, like, for example, if Rory gains 10 strokes off the tee, nobody says, oh, that's weird. That's an anomaly because Rory is a generational driver of the ball. So you expect that to happen. And I think Cam Smith gaining 12 strokes putting, you can't really say that that was luck 
or an anomaly because Cam is a generational putter and you kind of just have to factor that into the equation with Cam. I mean, Rick, between the Masters Players Championship and Open Championship, he's gained close to 30 strokes putting on the field. I mean, that is absurd. (laughs) Yeah, he's the fact that he even thought to pull out putter uh, from in front of the road hole bunker and then he pulled it off like that's a shot I would not have tried in Mario golf, right? Like it just never would have remotely crossed my mind. And I feel like we often say, oh, you could give him a bucket of balls there and he he couldn't do it again. I don't know, man. He probably gets up and down from that spot a lot. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I agree with you. And I was thinking about as somebody holding a Rory ticket and heavily invested in Rory, is there anything scarier in golf than watching? Like as soon as he's rolled in that first putt, which I want to say was on seven or eight, and he got that look in his eye again. Like, is there anything scarier in golf than when Cam Smith? Gets confidence with his putter. No, the, 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 I imagine the hole looks like a swimming pool when he gets in these zones, right? It's just like literally cannot miss and pace is always perfect. Yeah. It's, it's special stuff. He's, he's well-deserved, uh, to be our, to be our open champion. I was like the sickest I've ever been cashing a, an outright ticket just because of everything that was going on with Rory. And I was obviously rooting for Victor and like, it was, it, it is not it is not undeserving of him being our champion golfer of the year. Do you think he's the best putter of the last decade? Um, like in big moments. I mean, when, okay. Outside of like, I guess, you know, who are Tiger's the other last, nominees? I mean, Tiger's yeah. last decade is, you, you know, he like missed a couple of years. It's kind of all over the place. Um, the other nominees are guys that probably aren't doing it in as big of spots. When Ricky Fowler was putting well, he was he was great, but it was like never showing up in necessarily big spots. Cam is not only a great putter almost every single week, but he does it in the biggest spots, which I think is is pretty scary. Um, there have been a couple other good runs. Jordan Spieth had a run where he was off the charts. Jason Day Jason had about Day. a two-year stretch where he was the best putter in the world. So I guess you could say... Maybe we're being a little bit of a prisoner of the moment and Cam Smith needs to do it for a little bit of longer time, but man, it's close. Like I thought I, you know, this is not the greatest sample size, but I tweeted this out in the five biggest tournaments of the year. This year, Cam Smith has gained close to 23 strokes putting on the field, which is, I think the second place guy is like plus four or plus five, right? And that is being the 10 were one of the 10 that is including being one of the 10 worst putters in the field at the PGA championship. Right. So we have a year of cam Smith being the best putter in the world by an exponential margin in the biggest tournament. So, you know, we'll have to see what he does going forward. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully the next time we see him isn't in live Shanghai, but, um, man, I, 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 Gotta tip the cap to him, man. It was a unbelievable, unbelievable performance. I don't need so I was I was gonna have add Liv to the outline, but Liv is one of these topics where I have to like get geared up for it. You know what I mean? Like it's so complex, you don't know the truth about anything, especially with all these rumors. You have to like I, like I have to gear my brain up for it, right? And I'm like not necessarily prepared to gear my brain up for it. But if Cam goes to live, you lose like the reigning open champion, uh, the guy who just beat out the face of the PGA tour, like it's gonna it's gonna suck for the PGA tour. 
Big time. And I, I, my, my presumption wreck, and we've talked about this a little bit before, and I know this sounds a little corny. I said this on the podcast that I did yesterday, but I actually think that these guys want to play the president's cup. Um, I actually think that Cam Smith and Hideki want to play one more president's cup. And uh, as terms of the guys that are going to live, the one thing that those guys have told us is that their North star, their guiding light in life is money. So why would they not want to take the opportunity to play the Cam Smith is second in the FedEx cup. Hideki's top 10 in the FedEx cup. Why would they not want to have their cake and eat it too? I think that lives big get that's going to hold them off till October is Faraday, which is a whole other conversation. And that all these, there's going to be a next big wave after the president's cup, unfortunately would be my guess. Uh, that's probably right. Right. Yeah. If you're, if you're Cam Smith, why would you not start two shots behind Scotty Scheffler over four rounds to try to win $18 million? Why would you not? That's why? my exact logic. Yeah, I completely <laughs> like that's, agree. With you. Why would you not? And you'll miss you'll miss one more live event. Like, right. who cares? Who cares? Right. Um, God, the Faraday stuff. Um, I have a lot of thoughts because this creeps into this is now the live extension of creeping into the media side of things, which I have got right. another thousand level of takes on. But I guess I'm generally surprised by that. Right? Aren't you surprised when they get like how much was maybe Faraday was a couple years away from retiring anyway? Maybe he didn't like what he was doing at, at Golf Channel NBC, and maybe they offered him like a substantial amount, but that that was a pretty interesting get. He fits the live mold, I'll say that in terms of players or people that you could probably argue maybe have lost their fastball a bit and are a bit over the hill, but are still big names and still big draws. I don't know how Faraday. Did you watch his show on Golf Channel? Only when it was somebody that I was like already interested in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would do pick and choose. Do you feel like as a fan, you have a relationship to his commentary? Do you feel like he's NBC? I feel like he got kind of lost in the shuffle at NBC. Like so, I don't so really remember him being, you know what I mean? That's kind of the interesting thing, right? Because his show doesn't exist anymore, right? They canceled his show. No. And when I can remember hearing him on the broadcast, he'd have like the 14th hole or something like that, right? He would yeah. just be posted up at a hole and maybe that was not necessarily the way that he wanted to be deployed. Like, I don't even know how they were deploying him. Uh, but no, I don't feel like any special, like, and maybe I'm not his demo, right? Like maybe my dad is, maybe my dad have, feels like he has a special connection to David Faraday. I always thought he had good quips, but like, I don't even know where they were using him recently. Yeah. It, you know what? And it was probably a smart decision for him because it seems like he probably was being underutilized at NBC. So I completely understand why he went, you know, hopefully he gets to be Faraday. Like, again, I made this point on my podcast, so I apologize for repeating this, but like Jerry Fultz is a good commentator. He's been doing this for a long time. The issue is that when he goes to live, it looks like he's forced to read off a teleprompter. Dude. Right. And so, so hopefully they let Faraday be Faraday and don't, you know, kind of give him, Hey, the, the media, the, the, uh, sent the tights are, are all, are all sold out. We sold out everything there. You know what I mean? It's going to be really sad if Faraday turns into Jerry Fultz, right? If, if Faraday is 
telling us how much merchandise they had and it was well stocked but we still sold it out and all these like bullshit whatever that's gonna suck it, it would at least be nice to let him be let him be Faraday. right right that that i i completely agree with you i guess the one like silver lining of it as you said you tweeted this but you know, hopefully it opens up the door for younger voices and voices that are maybe hopefully going to be able to tap into a younger demographic. I know you and I are available, um, but yeah, I, DMs I did, are open. Right. DMs <laughs> are open for that one. If you want to put us on the CBS or NBC broadcast, I'll happily do that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I that that would be my hope. Right. That is, you know, that is the hope of how. OK, how does CBS and NBC respond to this people took that tweet like a lot of different ways and i wasn't asking like i'm not asking anyone to throw tiktokers on the broadcast like I'm, right I'm, I'm not right like i don't need the slime cup which by the way nickelodeon slime cup it was great like that it was, was excellent awesome. that's but, what growing the game is correct actually. but i'm not um i'm not asking uh i'm not asking for that I'm asking for a at least an attempted transition to a different demographic. The the current golf watching demographic that networks cater to are passive watchers who have golf on in the background, who are coming in and out, right? That's why they repeat the same stuff every time, every hour on the hour, because they think people are coming and going. They're not tuning in for the full whatever hour block. They're taking naps. They're coming back out. They're showing Viagra and Cialis commercials and all like, like that's the demo right now is like my like 65 year old white dad. Like that's the demo I'm asking for a little bit of servicing to what is a much more passionate demographic, the 18 to 35 disposable income data driven, uh, probably playing fantasy, probably gambling on it, probably actively rooting for their favorite golfer, uh, and maybe rooting against the guys they don't like a much more passionate fan base that might not have as much money or disposable income to, to, to pay for the Rolex commercials and the Mercedes Benz commercials and all that stuff. But like, stop, stop catering to the lowest common denominator to your passive viewer and go get a more passionate viewer. hundred percent. And, you know, I think like the official world golf rankings is they're starting to, they're changing. They're making some changes in the way that they calculate who the best player in the world is. They're implementing stuff like strokes gained. And I think if you, at this point in the game, if you are not attempting to at least understand what has been a bit of a analytical revolution in golf with strokes gained, um, then you're not, you're doing, I think if you, especially if you're on a broadcast, you're doing the fans a disservice. And I think the struggle is that it seems like a lot of the people that talk golf on television are stuck a little bit in a bygone era. It's uncomfortable and awkward when they start talking about gambling. And yet they have to talk about gambling because points bet has this new big deal with NBC, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the viewer. Right. And, and you have all these instances where it's like, man, like, you really going to try and tell us that Corey Connors is a great putter when he's 89th on the season in strokes gained putting. And that number 
you don't have to do a deep dive. Like that number takes one second to Google. It could be right up there in front of you. So we're not asking for necessarily this deep level of insight that maybe you and I would give on a podcast, right? We're just asking for the gap to be bridged and for them to understand, okay, maybe we educate the guys that are commentating golf a little bit more on stuff like strokes gained, maybe have them have at least a baseline knowledge of gambling where they're not saying that Maverick McNeely at minus 120 and a two-stroke league on Friday is a good bet, right? Like the bar does not that we're asking for does not need to be set very high. Uh, yes. And I don't want to throw, I don't want to throw these guys under the bus. Cause like literally everyone's at fault here. Like everyone's at fault. Um, CBS who pays my bills, right? Like CBS is at fault. NBC is at fault. Us as viewers, us in the meet, like everyone's at fault for this. Um, there was a, they had Azinger, Tarico, and Faldo in the booth. And they showed a photo from like 20 years earlier of Azinger, Faldo, and Tarico in the booth. And it was like this, can you believe it? What an amazing moment. And I looked at that and said, nothing has changed in 20 mm. years. We're still doing this. This is such an indictment on, on zero, like zero innovation. Like, what are we doing here? And we are touting this as like something special. This is an indictment. Like I, I hated that they did that. And again, it's not those three guys fault. Uh, it's everybody's fault. And I just, I just don't know how we get any level closer to what we want. I'm going to give a confession. It's something I'm not proud of. It's kind of a bad habit, but I fall asleep. I should be. I know that I should fall asleep reading a book. I know screen time right before bed, but the way that I fall asleep every night, Rick, is old major championship final rounds on YouTube. It is like just like very soothing to me. It's how I fall. I start at like 1995 and go all the way through, and I just watch major final rounds on YouTube. It puts me to sleep. And the broadcast, the commentary style has not changed, as you have said, at all. It is the same, it is the same style of analyzing what's happening on the golf course. It is the same way of cutting from shot to shot. It is the same amount of shot showed. It is the same um, kind of analytical or lack thereof view of what is actually happening on the screen. And you know, I think that there is a reason why golf was primed for poaching in certain respects, right? The, I, if the Saudi government tried to buy football, I think they'd fail, right? If the Saudi government tried to buy certain other sports, I think they'd fail. There's a reason why they looked at golf and saw, okay, this is a little bit primed for the poaching here, right? And And I'm not... I'm pretty on the record about not being a fan of Liv at all, but you know, there it's not very hard for Liv to sit here and say, okay, here are some of the things that are wrong with golf. This is a pretty easy fix. This is a pretty easy improvement. Yes. And, and it's kind of just, it's kind of just sitting there right in front of everyone's face. You know what I mean? Like the most obvious one to me, Rick, not to belabor this for too long, we can talk three M two, but one of what makes PGA tour golf so great is the drama surrounding the cut, right? And their complete inability to recognize that um, on a Friday afternoon of the broadcast and even understand what the cut is going to be. I mean, that one's a layup. I'm not, I've heard ideas for like, you know, a green zone, a cut cam, like 
all that stuff is pretty easy and tracking players making the cut. That's like an interesting wrinkle that you can throw on and probably doesn't take a lot of change in terms of production cost or production thought. Right. And, and that one's just sitting there and it's been sitting there for 20 years and they have no idea what to do with it. All these guys finish on nine or 18 on Friday and there are cameras there and we could just talk about it. But again, that's, I could do nine hours of that. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to move on, but I, yes, I agree. There are, there's low hanging fruit that goes a long way here. Um, we're going to talk 3M open. We're going to do props. We are going to do head to head matchups. We're going to hear an ad for Andy's podcast right now. Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field. But I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and you've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf Pod on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. Okay, Andy, 3M open this week. TPC Twin Cities, fourth year of uh, its existence as a PGA Tour event. We've got three long shot winners. Matthew Wolf, I think, was 125 to one. Peter uh, Peter Thompson. Michael Thompson was over 100 to one. And uh, Cam Champ was like 125 to one last year. Uh, why is it that the long shots are able to kind of crack through here? I think that there's a lot of variance on this course. I mean, to me, this course is more like a Florida course that has been placed in Minnesota, right? Water comes into play, I believe on 14 or 15 holes. And that's why I think it makes it kind of an interesting week in DraftKings. Um, they're not a lot of great options and they're not a lot of great players, but I think I would make the argument that life's too short to play somebody at 25% on a course where water comes into play on 15 holes. You know what I mean? So I think it presents an interesting opportunity this week. And that's why we've seen some of these longer shot players win because listen, like Tony Finau is great and all, but like Tony, if Tony Finau hits two or three balls in the water, he's going to shoot 74 here. And there's going to be a guy that shoots 65. For sure, right? Like that water lurking, um, which, well, I, I, and I want to get your take on this. I feel like some of the fairways and some of the landing areas are still kind of generous, but if you miss, you're like, it's a penalty shot now, right? And we saw DJ like put three in the water, shoot a 78 and WD. Like there there are going to be big numbers and there's going to be a wide range of of scores coming in. And, and I agree with you, kind of that increased volatility, the fact that we're now after a major championship, some of these guys are coming back. There's a lot of unknown entities being injected from guys who just turned professional. Like this is, this is ripe for surprise guys being in the mix. Yeah, there's a big scoring dispersion here and there's a lot of volatility, as you mentioned, which I think is interesting. A lot of these holes have like both over a 20% birdie rate and a 10% bogey rate, which I think is going, which I think is interesting, right? I think that's going to create a lot of movement on the leaderboard. And I think that's generally why this course has provided some exciting finishes. You know, I think that people mistake water for have a course with a lot of water with strategy, right? And, and I think actually 
a course with a lot of water actually limits the strategy. But what a course with a lot of water does is it creates these, it creates high variance and a lot of different types of outcomes, right? And so that's why I think this is a good course for PGA Tour play. Like, I think that this is going to be, it's kind of in the same mold as a lot of the TPC properties that we see. I think TPC Scottsdale is just like a great course in general, but it's an awesome course for PGA Tour tournament golf. And I think they've done a pretty good job with setting up TPC Twin Cities. I think even the tournament organizers talked about before, it's like, we're not trying to be the hardest course on the PGA Tour schedule, but we're trying to be a course where you can make a lot of birdies and you're also going to see some blow-ups. And I think TPC Twin Cities succeeds at that for the most part. Yeah, and tends to at least create some drama down the down the stretch with some of that water lurking and guys who might not always be used to being in the mix are now in the mix and things get a little hairy. Um, this is a very common question and Will presents it here in the chat right now. How much do you account for hashtag uh, strokes gain jet lag this week for guys coming back from Europe? This is it's always it's always a topic of conversation, like when you talk about major championship hangover, but especially when you are going back. Um, what's that going to be five, like six hours? What, what time zones Minnesota in? Is that central time? Central time zone. Yeah, it would be, I think at least six hours. Well, five um, to the East coast, right. Was, was from, was from, uh, Scotland. So if Minnesota's in central, that'd be one more hour. So six. Right. So how many players are actually that played in the open championship coming back? I don't think it's many. I, I think it's Finau, Hideki, Sungjae, Sahith, Cameron Tringali, Wyndham Clark, Tom Hoagie. Am I missing anyone? That was a pretty good list. Um, yeah. I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the sheet sheet right now. Uh can't uh no, can't Armina. Armina, I love you, babe. Says Cam Davis. Cam Davis did not play. He played the Barracuda last week. She's throwing out, she's throwing out cams in the slack and she's getting everybody all fired up and everybody <laughs> all confused. Um, give me one second here. I got to lock in, but you're, I'll, I'll find this, but your point is, your point is well taken. It's not like 90% of the field that we have to worry about here. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Tom 10, Cam, 11, 12, 13, sink. 14. Yeah. So here they are. Uh, Grillo, Poston, Sink, Hoagie, M, Clark, that's Wyndham Clark, Hideki, Matsuyama, Cameron Trigali, Danny Willett, uh, Tom Kim, Sahith Tagala, uh, Dylan Fratelli, Tony Finau. And how many of those guys are flying private? Just Finau, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably just Finau, I think. I think Hideki, Hideki probably flies private, right? Well, he didn't fly privately back from back to Japan after winning the Masters. Neither that's did true, Cam but Smith, you got, like, by the way. It, yeah, but like that's hard. You know, you got like that's right. It's hard because because right. you're and, staying later than you thought you were, and then to go back to Tokyo, you got to get to Atlanta. You got to get to a major hub. There's like a lot. There's a lot. Right, right, and you never know if you know. um, the four aces chartered a jet for, for attacking right. as well. Right. You, can, you always got to factor that into the yeah. equation as well. Yeah. So, you know, the answer for me is the short answer is no. I do think that it could be a bit of a jarring transition going from putting on very slow, bumpy greens to fast, slick backgrass greens. I do think that maybe that's a little bit of an adjustment. I think the shots I don't think there could be two more polar opposite courses in terms of the shots that you are asked to hit from TPC Twin Cities or or and St Andrews. So I think that's an angle that you can take. But no, I'm not really, I'm not using it as a defining factor to be on or off a guy. 
Uh, neither am I. I mean, listen, uh, I like to quantify things. This is going to be impossible to quantify. It's going to act differently for all of these guys. So probably not something that I'm I'm considering too much. Okay, um, let's talk some props. We'll talk some head-to-head matchups. We will get to our one-and-done selections. But first, we are going to take 30 seconds, and we'll start on the other side. All of the tools and data that you see me use on this channel is from my site, rickrungood.com. RickRunGood.com is one of the largest golf databases on the planet, and it's geared towards making your DFS and betting research process as efficient as possible. There are literally millions of data points in the database, and while that might sound intimidating, the tools that I've built allow you to cut through the data quickly, choose what's important to use, and even build lineups that are ready for import directly into DraftKings. Outside of that, membership gets you access to the Slack channel, currently 2,000 run-gooders who are ready to share insights and have a little fun. I love it, and you will too. Sign up at rickrungood.com. Okay, Andy, uh, before we jump into this, uh, TJ says, the Goddard Up hater duo. Good morning, fellas. Are we the Goddard Up hater duo? Do we hate Chris Goddard Up? I hate the cult around Chris Goddard I do not have anything personally against Chris Goddard I just think that we tend to get a little bit quick with anointing some of these flavors of the week. Um, so I will not be playing a 25% Goddard uh, up this week. I think, I think that was my angle. I don't even, yeah, I was just mostly like, he's going to be very, very popular. And um, right. I'll well, like, we, he's still very much an unknown entity. Uh, and if you like, if you like Haskins winners with plenty of upside, uh, Goddard, I'll take the heat. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goddard's not the only one in the field. Okay, uh, let's prop it like it's hot here. So this is uh, presented by Price Picks. Now, the board is coming together on Price Picks here. We've got birdies or better strokes, and the infamous birdies or better matchups. So if you've been paying attention, or whether you haven't, um, we've been tracking the results of these for the last month or so. Uh, and when I say we, I mean Andy Mentel, who emails these to me every single week, tracks these. Um, and the headliners here, because all of the lines are set to zero, have continued their epic run. So last week, they were 54, 36, and 23. And that was basically getting blown out on Sunday. The other three days were massive wins, which moves them, Andy, to 178, 119, and 60 overall. That's like 60 over 500 on blindly taking the overs here. Right. And I would have to calculate what the ROI is, but you're not even paying a tax to the bucks either. It's not like you're betting a matchup minus 110. Like you're getting these basically at even odds, right? Yeah, that is, uh, I'm just trying to do the quick. I can calculate the ROI off air, but that is a bit, yeah. that is a big edge. That is what yeah. you would define over a large sample size as a big edge. So if you're not checking out prize picks, promo code Rick, I would highly suggest you do it. It's been probably more profitable for me this year, even more so than DFS or betting. Although I will admit this, these matchups look a little more fair to me this I week. Think it's, I think it's the nature of the field. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Is Because usually we see a guy who is significantly better as the headliner. I don't know if that necessarily exists this week, right? Like, is Chez Reeve significantly better than Martin Laird? Is Cam Davis significantly better than Nick Hardy? I, I, I think this is the nature of the field that these are a lot closer this week. Right. Not to pick on Goddard again, but but Sung Jay over Goddard stands out to me. Um, so does Sahith over Tringale. And not that Sahith is like 
necessarily that much better of a player than Trincali, but Sahith is the type of guy that I trust to heat up and get really hot for a single round. Whereas Tringali feels a little bit more steady to me, although Tringali can like weirdly get unconscious too. But yeah, I agree. I think the ones that kind of stick out to me would be Sungjae, Goderup and Sahith Tringali. Is there any, is there anyone else that you really have your eye on? Uh, I believe it was in one of your articles or maybe your podcast, uh, articles on rickrungood.com, uh, where you talked about kind of like the very easy nature of these putting surfaces. Am I on the right, right track here? Yeah. You're on the right track. So Brendan Steele is back to being like absolute team. No putt. I think it's him, him and Davis Riley over the last 36 are head and shoulders above everybody else in this field in terms of ball striking and Steele just cannot putt. And I'm, I'm hoping, uh, you know, not having to go play in Scotland, right. He didn't tee it up last week and now going to a place where it might be one of the easier places to putt and might reward you for keeping it nice and dry. If Brendan Steele could have a good week. I love that. I bet Brendan Steele this week, um, at a, you know, a number I don't feel super comfortable about, but that's kind of the nature of the field this week with, with everyone. Yeah. I would still say, these birdies are when I quick, I wonder if they give us holes wreck, which holes will be kind of interesting because like we talked about, there's a lot of variants, right? So you are going to see a lot of birdies, but you're also going to see a lot of bogeys. What do they have the strokes at? Um, is it in the like 70 area? 69, 69, yeah. 69 and a half, a couple guys at 70 Duffner at 70 and a half. That feels fair to me. I think, I think I'd probably target the birdies are better matchups the most. Um, I have a couple of questions about that, but let me, let me roll through, uh, some of these questions. Has anyone else gotten their betting limits lowered by prize picks recently for winning on golf? I have not heard of that, Andy. I know that they, they will start to adjust the lines like behind the scenes. And when you enter one, it'll say, Hey, or like they'll adjust the payouts, but I've not heard of betting limits being lowered. Uh, not for me. Maybe I'm not betting big enough. Um, but <laughs> maybe no, Jay not. Schilling is just betting too big. <laughs> yeah, it, it's certainly possible. I'm a pretty modest better, but so, you know, not for me. Um, but I guess take it as a compliment, Jay. Um, Brent says, can you ask about Colorado? You can only do over under DFS points. I just killed it when I was in Cali last weekend. I'm ready to get in on it. Have it. Yeah, this is a Colorado thing. This is not really a prize picks thing. I believe the, the, legalities around what they're able to offer are only fantasy points. I am, I am sure prize picks would love to offer more than that in the state of Colorado, a very big state, but that is uh that's a legality thing as far as I understand it. Yeah. DraftKings is legal in Colorado. Correct. I believe. I believe so, which is why I think I think they're like allow fantasy and like, it, th that's the other problem with all of this is like every state treating everything differently. And Right. These companies having to figure it out, but yeah, I believe they're legal for DraftKings as well. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of tough to decipher. Like I'm in California most of the time, and you cannot legally gamble in California. Yet I have no problem playing DraftKings or Prize Picks. So I think right. Yeah, exactly. The uh, Fuji asks about uh, with birdie or better matchup being more of a volume play, which I completely agree with. Has anybody with a big bankroll mix and matched? Uh, Andy, who was emailing me about this. He's been like mixing and matching all of them. Oh, he actually says here, I had 66 bets uh, on birdie or better matchups on Thursday. It was very profitable. So that's, yeah, it, it, this is very much a, a volume type of situation. But um, Andy, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because we have 
kind of big numbers lurking out here. You could, in theory, find a guy who goes over their birdie or better, uh, but also over their strokes, right? You know what I mean? Where you could have yeah. a guy who makes five birdies and then a triple or something like that. Does that lead you one way or another, whether it's being more invested in birdies or better or being more invested in strokes? Probably birdies are better, I think. Um, would Yeah, would be would be the route that I would go. I mean, there's three par fives on this course. All of them are on the longer side, but they are still all reachable. I mean, this course plays a little bit above sea level too. So you see driving distance jump up here over tour average. And I know there's at least one very short par four, but I think there are a couple par fours under 400 yards that feature, you know, close to a 25% 30 birdie rate. So I don't think for the best players that five birdies in a round is too large of a hill to climb, especially somebody like Sahith, for example, where I trust that Sahith can make five birdies in a round. I also probably expect him to give one or two back. So I would probably lean towards the birdies or better matchups unless I felt definitively like the strokes was unfair. And I think they have decently fair numbers on the strokes. Yep. Yeah. I'm probably with you there. The, the idea of like, like strokes could get blown up in one hole. The birdies are better. Makes me feel like if you have a, if you have the right side on somebody getting 18 cracks at it is a little bit better than potentially being uh, blown up on one hole. Um, if you want to get involved, Prize picks. The code you're looking for is Rick. There's a link in the description. They'll give you a deposit match up to a hundred bucks. You can go out and beat them all up on the birdies or better matchups until they finally figure themselves out, which doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. Uh, Andy, we've got to do matchups. We got to do uh, one and done and we got to get out of here. So we will do that on the other side. If you're not playing daily fantasy on prize picks, then you're not really playing daily fantasy. They offer nothing but props and they do it better than anyone else. You pick two to five players on an over under and can win up to 10 times on any entry. They allow mixed sport entries, meaning you can take the over on LeBron James and the under on John Rahm. The golf specific props are amazing. Birdies or better, fairways hit, greens in regulation, round score, and now, yes, single hole props that's right what score will a golfer make on a specific hole i have prize pick specific tools on my website to help you build the best entries and now prize picks is offering a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 just use the code rick at sign up or click the link in the description that's code rick good luck uh real quick andy sean asked a question about these prize picks uh, being listed as tournament matchups. And I was like, man, Sean's an idiot. No, Sean's not an idiot. Sean is, uh, so these are listed as Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like these are just wrong. These are all, they've got to be Thursday round one birdie or better matchups. And I, I can, yeah, I don't think they've ever done that before. Have they? They've, they've never done that. I'm actually not even sure they're legally allowed to do that. So what I, I'll tell you exactly what happened here. I bet you they input these via spreadsheet and whoever put them in just dragged down the date column trying to copy it because they're all Friday at 8 a.m., Saturday at 8 a.m., Sunday at 8 a.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 8 Like Excel Excel was was too smart. That is exactly what I think happened here because these go all the way into August. But I imagine they are all – they have to be round one props. 100%. We'd probably yeah. get somebody on uh, – we'd probably get somebody to check on that. I'm sure they'll fix it by Wednesday. Fix it. Yeah, I would imagine. Fix it. Uh, okay. 
head-to-head matchups. Uh, I've got some good ones here. Well, I've got some interesting ones here. Uh, let's start with a couple of big boys. Tony Finau, Maverick McNeely. Um, I took McNeely. Interesting. Maybe just times. like as, yeah, maybe just like as a, I want to get different and try and catch you. Yes, that was definitely part of it. The other thing is um, he's got like three top 20s in a row. Uh, he's he's definitely playing well right now. Finau is obviously playing great too. And Finau has, you know, like when I look at course history, I think it's obviously great that Tony Finau has three, whatever it is, top 26s and a top 10 or whatever. Um, like how sticky do we think that is with a place that's got a lot of water out there? I think this is a course with probably some of the least predictive course history on the PGA tour. It was not much of a factor, uh, in anything for me this week. That's kind of what I was thinking. So I went with McNeely. I'm pretty sure even just to put some credence behind that point that Cameron champ and Michael Thompson both missed the cut the year prior to wedding this <laughs> tournament. There you go. So there you go. I, I went with Finau just cause he's a better player than McNeely. Sure. Um, but you know, anyway, anyway, uh, well, we're both on Adam Spenson over CT pan. I was surprised to even see this available. And I think Spenson was only like minus minus one fifteen or something like that. Uh, so Svenny, who is, listen, I, I think we know what he is. He's a great ball striker. I think there's a reason why a lot of guys, not just in our community, but like when you talk to caddies and other players are generally very high on him, nothing against CT pan, but like, I just took the skill set. Yeah, I am super, super high on Svensson. Um, I bet him to win. I think he is going to be quite popular in DraftKings, so I might have to end up avoiding in that market. But I think Svensson's a stud. Um, he actually played here in 2019, which was interesting. And he gained like 12 strokes from T to green. And he has been just absolutely hitting the cover off the ball. And he's been putting well, too. I think he's gained in like seven straight starts putting. So I like Svensson a lot this week. Uh, JT Poston versus Martin Laird. What side would you like, sir? I went with Laird coming off a strong finish at the Barracuda, whereas Poston is coming off the miscut at the Open Championship. I've been playing Laird a ton. I mean, he can't putt, but as we've talked about with these greens, uh, maybe that provides a bit of um, a reprieve for him on the putting. Uh, yeah. So I, I just think post has just been better, right? He missed the cut at the open championship. He missed it by like a shot or two. I'm not that worried about it. I also think it's tough when you qualify for the open championship, like one or two weeks in advance. And now you've got to figure out your plane and get there. And like, it probably wasn't an event that you were planning on playing anyway. And he's been in a good run. He's got a couple of, uh, top tens, obviously the victory a couple of weeks ago. So I took, I took JT here and they're like, if you combine these two guys, Andy, they'd be a pretty good golfer. Yeah, certainly, because Poston is just an absolute microwave with the putter. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair point on uh, on on our guy Poston. Uh, how about Davis versus Davis? Riley Davis, Riley versus Cam Davis, and it took a lot for me to do this because I'm a Cam Davis truther, but you and I both took Davis Riley here. Yeah, I took Riley. I mean, I have some ways that I'll be getting down on the, I like them both. I have some ways that I'll be getting down on the other Davis a little bit later in the show, but I, I, I like Riley a lot here. I, I think that he, um, Riley fits the statistical profile that I'm looking for in the sense that he has had weeks over the season where he has spiked 
pretty heavily in all four major categories, right? So he has, he's had weeks where he's been a lead off the tee. He's had weeks where he's been an elite iron player. He's his weeks where he's gained five strokes around the green weeks where he's gained seven, nine strokes putting. That is what I'm looking for in a player before winning a golf tournament, right? He just hasn't been able to match those all up in the same week. So I think Riley has a lot of upside. I think he's got a pretty good chance to win this week or one of these kind of bent grass birdie fests coming up. Yes. The only thing that I kind of worried about with Riley um, is that he hasn't played since like the Travelers, which right. I think it's, I'd have zero data to back this up, although I guess I could, but like taking that long off and then winning immediately, I feel like doesn't necessarily happen. Often these guys kind of play their way into it. They get back into competition. They knock off rust and, you know, 27 holes to knock off the rust and they start figuring it out. But um, yeah, like I'll be like, give me the 20 top 20 Riley markets. Give me the matchup markets. Uh, he's the best ball striker of the last 36. Like I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Riley Sung, Sung JM versus Hideki Matsuyama. This is kind of the, the big boy matchup here at the end. Um, these two are both kind of in a weird spot, right? I think they're both kind of underperforming. Hideki had the one good finish at, at the U.S. Open, and otherwise it's not been particularly great. He had that weird DQ, and then Sung Jae uh, lost 10 strokes putting at the Open Championship, isn't ball striking as well. There's rumors that his back is hurting. Like, what are we doing with these guys? I think I'm going to go Sung Jay. I think Hideki might be playing out a string a little bit. I think that he probably had sponsorship commitments to fulfill at this, you know, with this schedule and at this tournament. And I just, I, I don't like when there's smoke with the guys. I like them more so, at least if they're, you know, if they're settled on either one tour or the other tour. And I, I don't like the juju around Hideki right now. And I think Sung Jay is undervalued in the sense that how many people are, I was looking at DraftKings owners, early DraftKings ownership earlier today. And like, how many people are actually going to look at the fact that the reason why Sung Jay finished 81st at the open championship is because he lost 10 strokes on the green, right. And actually gained over three strokes ball striking. Right. So I think it's a enticing by low spot on Sung Jay and, and I'm going to ride with him here. I, yeah, I worry about both of these guys. Um, I I took Hideki just like, hey, Sungjae, I don't even, I agree. Like Hideki Hideki's be, a better player overall. Hideki's like, a better player. His his mind might be somewhere else. Sungjae's not playing great. He might be hurt. Like, I don't love either one of these guys. I opted for Hideki and I would be not surprised at all if both of them like missed the cut. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, one and done update. You buried me last week. Uh, you put me in the grave as we kind of knew my last, my last gasp of, uh, of hope was finding some magic at, at the open championship. I went with Wills Alatoris who, if he didn't have to play 15, 16 and 17 would have won that event because every other hole for the, for the week was awesome. Um, faded to 90,917 Roy McElroy as discussed, didn't even need the full 2.5. Didn't even get second place money solo third was good enough for 933. So that is a 2.8 million dollar lead Andy with um one Six two events. three four, five events to go I think cuz I don't think we'll do tour championship cuz that's kind of wonky. So five right. five to go. So I need I need I need I need multiple winners and Yeah, you need help. three you you probably need two or three wins and I need two or three missed cuts. Ball control going forward, prevent defense. Like, you know, like we're not going to we're not going to do anything too crazy. Um, I went with 
uh, my guy Cameron Davis this week, who I think is relatively safe in this field um, with some good upside too. Like I think Cameron Davis can win this event. So, you know, I felt pretty good about trotting him out here. As you should, um, well on the record of my my Cam Davis love, and I think this is a good spot for him. He's going to defend next week, by the way, at Rocket Mortgage. Uh, I went with Sahith, and I just love the way he's driving it. Five five straight events, he's gained strokes uh, off the tee. First time he's done that in his career, very young career, small sample size. But uh, yeah, man, he's he's playing well. He's got like eight straight cuts made. He's got a couple of top top ten finishes in there. I think this is the type of field that. He should be licking his chops in and I'm, I'm going to run him out there and see if he can find me a little bit of magic. Um, let me ask you a question. If Sahith wins this week, do you think there's an argument to be made that he's rookie of the year with how good Cam Young's been in majors without a win though? Um, see wins are always, they're always overvalued. Yeah. I, I think Cam Young just like he's got all the runner ups one of them at the open championship winning the three M open does not surpass that for me. Uh, and I know he's got a couple of other good finishes, but I, I, if I had a vote, which I do not cam young would be my guy still. Right. The only, um, the only pushback I would give is that, you know, Sahith almost took down Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley and Scotty Scheffler in Phoenix and almost took down Xander Shoffley again at the traveler. So, those were not major championships, but he's been in the heat of the battle against really, really good players with a legitimate, legitimate chance to win good, legit PGA Tour events. Not majors, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it would, it would make it at least a conversation. That's why he's probably going to win this week. He's been, he's been tested. He's been in the fire. Now he doesn't have to run into a buzzsaw that is Xander Shoffley and TPC courses. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably just going to win it. Works for me. Hopefully. Okay. Good stuff as usual, Andy. We'll be back on Friday. Same time, same place. Noon Eastern on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel. Uh, But for now, big thanks to producer Armina. She does all the hard work behind the scenes. Andy Lack is available on Twitter at ADP Lack Sports. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been your Tuesday Scramble. Good luck.